Hey everybody, welcome to the Regeneration Podcast. I'm Jay, and as always, here with my buddy Isaac. And before we get into today's episode, I want to invite you to something. Our next Regeneration Project event. Um, We're super excited about this because here's the deal. One of the things that matter most to us is the mission of the church, and in particular, sharing the good news of Jesus with the world, with people who don't know him, and specifically, how to do that more effectively to new generations. Generations. And so on Wednesday, March 21st in San Jose, California, we're hosting our next event and it's called Evangelism and Apologetics, a match made in heaven. And we're thrilled to be able to share with you that it's going to be an evening um, that we will be hosting with the incomparable Oz Guinness. Um, if you don't know Oz Guinness, he is one of the most important and uh, one of the brightest Christian thinkers in the world today. He's written over 30 books. He serves as um, the chair of the Oxford uh, Apologetics um, Department, and he's got his PhD from Oxford. He's just a brilliant guy, social commentator, Christian theologian, and he's going to be sharing with us about how in order to share the good news of Jesus with new generations, we have to begin to thinking about evangelism and apologetics and how they work together. And uh, it's going to be a chance for us to hear from Oz, have some conversations with him. You'll have an opportunity to ask him questions as well. So we would love for all of you to be there. It's a free event, uh, but it is going to fill up. So we'd love for you to go online to our website, get tickets. You can just go to regenerationproject.org, scroll down to the middle of the page. You'll see a big graphic for it. And uh, that'll take you to the place where you can find out more info and get tickets. So that's um, Wednesday, March 21st at 7 p.m. in San Jose, California with Oz Guinness. Um, Would love for you to be there. And now on to today's episode, Um, we are talking with our good friend, Steve Patton. Steve is a writer and a thinker and a pastor, and he is currently a church planter, planting a brand new church up in Seattle, Washington. And uh, we get into all of that with him. We begin the dialogue by talking about really difficult thing in the Bible, um, slavery and racism, that sort of stuff seems to be really rampant in the Bible. What do we do with that? Um, And then we get into uh, talking about how to read the Bible as a whole and how that can really equip us to be able to engage some of these really tough places in the scriptures. And then ultimately we end up talking about Steve's church plant, which is really born out of all of this other stuff that we're talking about. Um, Some of the tough passages in scripture and the fact, the hope that we have that God is doing the work of reuniting and um, bringing together all people and all things. And so uh, it's a, it's a great episode, lots of fun, lots of great content. We hope you enjoy it. Um, This is our episode with Steve Patton. Enjoy. Steve, what's up, man? So glad to have you on the podcast. I mean, good to be with you guys. Well, you've been a friend and and on the Regen team for for quite some time now. And one of the the talks that you give at our our conferences is kind of dealing with the issue of slavery and race relations from not only a biblical perspective, but kind of an apologetic standpoint as far as dealing with this accusation that, hey, look, when you read the Bible, in particular the Old Testament and a couple of Paul's letters, his epistles, man, it seems like the Bible is is pro-slavery, like it's like it's just cool with it. Um, and, you know, there was points in human history, and, and certainly our history as, as Americans, that people use the Bible 
as grounds for just horrible, vicious slavery and, and racism and um, kind of the pushback that someone who isn't a Christian or who doesn't come from a Christian background, they, they might say, you know, Steve, as a thinking person and then as an, as an African-American man, how could you be yeah. okay with this book? So yeah. what are your thoughts and how have you, how do you respond to that? Yeah. So, I mean, I was one of those people. Mm. So yeah, I was definitely one of those people. How do you, how do you support, you know, the, the Bible and the white man's religion, right? That, I was definitely one of those people. Um, so, I mean, my response to that is, I mean, it's, 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 it's layered, right? It's layered um, because I realized that whenever we come into a conversation, right? Whenever we come into a conversation, it's the words that we use, they already have a loaded meaning for us that may not necessarily be the meaning that somebody else said, right? Like if, if you go back, you go back to, you know, this is 2018, you go back to, you know, 1978 and you say something was bad, no one would think that you meant that that was good. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> right? So words in the context that you're in always carry a particular meaning uh, and a, a, a particular connotation. But so, well, I say, I say when, when we read the word slave, when we read the Bible, the immediate picture that comes to our mind as 21st century, primarily Western people is we think the transatlantic slave trade. So we see the word slave and, and we see that in the scripture, like slaves obey your masters. Right. <clears throat> and we see that and we go, Whoa, transatlantic slave trade. But that's not, the meaning of the word that existed in, you know, first century, you know, Middle East, first century Asia Minor, right? That, that's not, that's, that imagery didn't exist for them. So it was just realizing for, for me, first of all, it was realizing that when they say a word, that's not necessarily what they mean when they say a word. Now, I remember I, I talked to a guy who worked for the, uh, he actually worked for Webster's Dictionary. And uh, it was the year that the word bootylicious was actually entered into oh, man. Webster's Dictionary. Cisco. Cisco. Uh, Beyonce. Oh, Beyonce. that's right. No, what was Cisco's horrible? Uh, uh, his was just a thong song. Thong but. song. Man. I knew. I just thought of horrible uh, booty song. From thong song is not in the Webster's Dictionary. <laughs> it's, it's not so. in the. Oh, man. That's funny. My mind went to. Oh, that's such a bad song. Bad <laughs> as in not good, not bad as in Michael Jackson's bad, which is right. cool and not in temperature. It's cool right. as in it's not sick. Not LOJ bad. That's just like, that's horribly <laughs> bad. <laughs> um, but I remember, I remember talking to him and I asked him how he felt about the word bootylicious being added into the dictionary. Uh, and he said he had no problem with it at all. And I, and I was thrown off because I had a problem with it. So I'm like, what, what do you mean? You don't have a problem with it. And he said, the dictionary is the dictionary doesn't give us what words mean. The dictionary is just a history of how we use words. Oh, interesting. So I went up. Oh, okay. So that, that kind of like opened my eyes a bit to like language. So even when, when people will say, how can you be a thinking person and believe the Bible? when you know, you read the King James version and it says there's unicorns. Yeah. Right. Like, I, so you believe in unicorns. I'm like, well, historically, unicorns, they were describing rhinos. Right. So it's how we use a word. So when, came to the, uh, when I started really digging, even after I became a Christian, um, I started digging like, how how is this OK? Like, I'm, I'm ready to walk away from this. If this is OK. Um, and so realizing first that the word slave for us today is not what they were saying when they said the word then. Uh, so that was a that 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 was a huge door opening for me. 
right? And then digging into, you know, historic languages, when you see slave, uh, slave is not, again, the, you know, chattel own, own people as property type slavery, uh, but rather it was servants, right? There were servants. Like if, if you clock in at a nine to five today, the word that they would use for you would be a doulos. You'd be, you'd be a slave. If my wife who's pregnant, right, we're, we're talking about, you, know, you got a doula, about, right? We're, we're talking about getting a doula, doula. That's the Greek word for slave, right? Servant. So this woman is not going to be our slave, uh, but she's going to help serve us as we uh, as, as we have a child. So realizing that that was the first thing that kind of helped just unlock it for me. Like, oh, when you say slave is not what I think when I say slaves. That was the first thing that unlocked it for me. Um, and then reading. Th- but but then I had to read through the tough passages. Right. You, you read through those tough passages and you're like, eh, there's some rules for slaves here. And who can and who can't, they're not owning people, but there's different rules. Like Jew and Gentile, there's some different, God God himself laid out some different rules for how people were, for how people were treated. And I had to, I had to walk through that. I had to wrestle with that. I had to dig through that because some of it was on the surface, very unsettling. Like, what do you mean Jews uh, can treat Gentile, you know, not Jewish servants differently what and this was shortly after coming out of slavery themselves you know coming out of egypt where it was harsh right it was it was it was harsh treatment it was harsh activity it was it was very you know bad treatment they they the egyptians took something that was very much so a cultural practice that was happening all over the known world but they took it and they used it very very poorly and so as I, as I start looking through, you know, the tough texts, you know, especially in the Old Testament, I start looking through those texts and I'm seeing, oh, wait, God is giving rules for a better way to deal with this known cultural practice. And then and then even then, as I as I look at those rules for the practice and I start again, I'm thinking of what I know as slavery. And I see these rules. I'm like, oh, my gosh. Whatever was happening here is very different from what I know to be slavery. And not only very different from what I know to be slavery, for what I see happening here, for what God lays out for the way that servants should be treated. It absolutely would condone what I know as slavery from the from the transatlantic slave trade. It would excuse me, it would condemn it. It would absolutely condemn it, not condone it. It would absolutely condemn it. The, the practices like don't. Don't go to a place and take people. That's against. Right? Don't go to ultimately don't go to places that aren't immediately in your border. Like you, you, you can only have servants from places that are just immediately in your border when you allow them to when you allow them to sell themselves into servitude so that they can buy their freedom. Right. Like. No. So that means you can't go from Europe or the United States and go to Africa. Like, that's widely con- condemned. And then you get into, you know, New Testament, where it, it flat out, well, Paul flat out wrote, a, sla- a slave trader is an evildoer and worthy of death. Like, that's that's right there in the text. So, so as, a, as a thinking person, you know, when I actually just, when I actually just think, 
right? People will often throw that, you know, you need to be a thinking person. Uh, but often the people say, you know, how can you as a thinking person haven't actually sat and thought about it? They haven't actually sat and thought. They just want to proof text and use aha and gotcha moments uh, and not actually research and read what's actually there and actually think. Uh, when you do that, you, you'll come to you, you'll come to a conclusion that, oh, no, not only is uh, not only is the Bible not talking about what I know to be slavery. It flat out would condemn what I know to be slavery. That gotcha thing is is an important note. I mean, just in our culture right now, that's how we engage with one another. We set up gotcha questions, little little mm-hmm. tweets that are just trying to to just destroy someone without actually digging in. And what you, what you pointed out is important. The Bible. I mean, we believe it's the word of God, but simultaneously the Bible and particularly the passages in the Old Testament, the difficult ones dealing with with slavery. This book is is an ancient Near Eastern text in a world that is radically different than our own. And oftentimes Mm -hmm. we come with a sort of modern arrogance and we try to impose where we're at as humanity upon a very old document. And then one of the things that's interesting with the Bible is uh, God gives us laws to help restrain evil. And so sometimes there's laws, particularly in the Old Testament, that were given to restrain evil. They weren't things that were necessarily encouraged. So for instance, a divorce mm-hmm. and remarriage. There's laws and and guidance for divorce and remarriage in the Bible, but Jesus in the scripture is clear, God doesn't like divorce. That's Old Testament, right. New Testament. God does not like divorce. Right. But in a world where reality says people are going to get divorced, God puts restrictions and boundaries and ways to navigate in the fallen world. And one of the things that takes place in the Old Testament, which you pointed out, is what God is doing to the human institution of slavery is radically, it's subverting it from the inside out. There's there's laws of, I mean, the Jubilee, the the the, the seven year cycles of if you're everyone in the land goes goes free. Um, mm-hmm. If you want to stick with with the people you've been serving, you can. But everyone at this year gets to go free. Um, mm-hmm. Masters and slave relationships, and even those words, like you said, are loaded with with meaning in our world yeah. that didn't necessarily. Uh, translate to there, but they're giving boundaries. And ultimately in the New Testament, it climaxes with the letter of Philemon, um, with, with, with Paul saying, you know, you, you treat, you treat this man as a brother. You treat him um, as you would treat me. It, well, yeah, I'm, I'm, and it's like, oh man, and it's a subversion. It's a subversion. Yeah. You have to sneak into the institution itself and subvert it because it's culturally yeah. accepted by all people uh, on the face of the earth. Pretty much uh, in two thousand years ago, I mean, there were exceptions, but the vast majority. So, uh, t- great in- insights there. Go ahead. But no, that, and that's that's exactly what happened. Is that is that subversion, right? So you look at the laws that get, that God put in place for for restricting evil with slavery, right? You look at the laws that God put in place for how his people would engage with this known cultural, already existing cultural practice of uh, servitude. But what happened, right? What happens is that over time, as history records, by the time you get to uh, the time of the Jewish diaspora, right? By the time Jews are spread, right? The the Jewish people, as they practice slavery, well, excuse me, as they practice servitude, and then as their influence kind of and their domination kind of spread a bit before the diaspora, in the ancient Near East, slavery barely exists at all. 
once these rules are instituted and practiced by the time of the diaspora and, and they're in, you know, kind of in their space, it's so, their rule. The rules are so subversive. It ultimately becomes, well, if this is the way it is, why practice it at all? Right. Slavery as they knew it then shatters before Rome comes in and dominates and institute their version. But then Paul, Paul puts, you know, Paul lays out these rules and these, you know, lays out these practices and the heart, right? Like you, like you mentioned in Philemon, like, hey, treat him as you would treat me. And then again, boom, slavery as they knew it begins to crumble. And then you get the, uh, you get the transatlantic slave trade and then people start reading the Bible and seeing the Bible. And you have people like, you have people like Wilberforce, you got people like the Quakers, you know, and they're seeing, they're like, hey, no, you can't own people. And it becomes so subversive. God's, God's, God's grace, God's way becomes so subversive. He destroy, it, it, it becomes destroyed. Yeah, it crumbles from the inside out. That, that point you made was, was, was great about um, by the time you get to the first century, are Jews practicing and having an institution of slavery? The same thing, interesting, connects with the, the idea of marriage I just said. In the Old Testament, you have people who are uh, polygamists. They're married to, to multiple people, and oftentimes we'll look, people will look at that. You know, the Bible support, is, like the kings have multiple wives. What we know is that the Jewish people... And say the time of King David, there there were people who had multiple wives and, and polygamy. But the restraints, restrictions, and rules that God puts upon the institution of marriage, by the time you get to first century, monogamy is the the institution of the Jewish people because mm-hmm. God comes into it and again, like you said, subverts it. And so you give it some time and all of a sudden it crumbles from the in- inside out. And that's reality. People people often think things can happen in a in a non realistic way. Well just just do this and it all go you know all go away. And that's that's not the way humanity works. And so yeah, it's a brilliant point that God comes in and puts boundaries and restrictions and be, you know, you give it some time and all of a sudden it crumbles from the inside, from the inside. It's people, from the in- people on the inside breaking it down. And that's so much more powerful than just, cause, cause people will say, why didn't just God command that it just go away? Like, well, cause it would, it would always stay right. As even as, as Paul writes in, um, in, in, you know, first Corinthians, it's the, you know, he would have, he wants to show a better way. Right. So in the institutions of you know, marriage and the practice of slavery and so many other things that 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 we know today is to be so wrong, but would used to be so common. Uh, he, he he instituted not just, hey, don't do this. He like, no, let's let me show you a better way. And then when it's done, it will crash. Because you can't just legislate someone's heart. So that's that's often the, the, the issue that Christians get caught up in is we think sometimes if we can just vote something into place a Mm -hmm. law or something and i'm not saying not to vote good more like legislating morality in this is is a good like we should have laws against bad bad things in the world of course but sometimes the church has been caught up thinking that if you just legislate something then the country is going to change well no a law does not change hearts and so god can't just say something without working on it not only the individual's heart but the, the actual culture's heart and ethic and kind of moral structure yes absolutely steve one of the things you're really bringing to light 
that I think is really helpful for people or, or can be, should be, is that your journey with um, deconstructing and reconstructing what the Bible actually says about slavery, that journey is applicable to so many of the hard texts in the scriptures. And mm-hmm. I, I don't want to miss this opportunity because you've explained your journey in, in a way that I think is so common for so many people that often the Bible comes comes off as just a series of disconnected um shock value aha moments you know like you were saying you read a verse here and a verse there and they're disconnected from the larger story that's unfolding and when we read the bible that way there are so many places where you're like aha god can't be good aha christians are evil aha this is an antiquated archaic you know inhumane book right there's so many of those but what you're saying is, um, you know, being a thinking person. And I think most of the people listening to this podcast are interested in being those sorts of people, not just for the sake of being those sorts of people, but because they're really trying to understand better what God is up to in the world and how to share that good news with people. Mm-hmm. And the thing that comes to mind for me is, as, as you guys were talking, it, it made me think of, um, you know, C.S. Lewis's whole uh, thought about chronological snobbery, this idea that we know best right now and everyone who's come before us has been wrong. Uh, yeah. And what's so backwards about that way of thinking is that in the Bible, the biblical story tells us, no, 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 no. There is all the vision for human flourishing is not in the here and now. It's not that that we know best right now, but rather the vision for human flourishing are found in pages on pages one and two of the Bible. Mm-hmm. And that on page three, when sin enters the story, human rebellion happens, everything from that point on is really about God trying to recapture, reimagine, and then reenact the vision of Genesis one and two. And what's fascinating to me about Genesis 1 and 2 that people don't talk about enough is that the vision of Genesis 1 and 2, the vision of human flourishing, is not a vision of God robotically controlling human beings as like puppets on a string, just Mm -hmm. making everything right in us. Rather, it's God inviting human beings to partner with him in bringing about to fruition the good potential in his good world. And so... That, that for me, frames everything about this conversation. Why didn't God just rush in and completely destroy the system of slavery um, or serv- servitude or whatever and just make things exactly the way we think they should be made? Because in some ways, it would deny his entire plan for human flourishing, which is a partnership with us, that we would, in loving relationship with God, obey. Um, So talk a little bit, I know that was a long way to get to this question, talk a little bit for you, not just with slavery, but with your approach to the Bible as a whole. Um, How did that, because I know there are a lot of people listening for whom this is like a fresh way of understanding reading the Bible. Mm-hmm. Talk a little bit about that journey. Like, how did you get to the place? Was it someone you read or, or mentors you had? How did you decide one day, oh, you know what? I don't think the Bible's meant to be read just like a verse here and a verse there. I think it's meant to be read beginning to end as an unfolding story. And then that story and all of its narrative arcs is what really, truly reveals the heart of God and his plan for humanity. How did that happen for you personally? Like, when did you start reading the Bible that way? 
Oh man, um, I started reading the Bible that way uh, about um, man, maybe nine years ago. Maybe nine years ago, I started reading the Bible that way. Um, uh, prior to that, I had been reading the Bible for shoot, um, maybe I'm just doing some quick math in my head here. Maybe uh, man, for for a while, I've been reading the Bible since you know '96. You know, prior to that, as just hey, let me find a verse that either inspires me or you know, kind of just proves my point. And anything else I got questions about, I'll just kind of put that to the side. Um, well, over you know, over the years, you know, from '96 to say 2008, yeah, from say '96 to 2008, um, I'd read the Bible that way and built up so many questions. That uh, by the time 2008 came, and admittedly, uh, in the face of some very God powerful moving things, right? Like I saw God do two like medically certified miracles, uh, and then that made me go, "I got questions. I need to. I need to wrestle with all of these other questions." Um, and so I started all of those questions that I had built up for stuff that didn't fit in my basically my fortune cookie reading of the scriptures. Uh, when I started having to wrestle with my questions, it brought me to all of this. And I mean, I, and I started wrestling with like all the like wildest questions I could come up with about the very existence of God, because my, so my, my first love, like, you know, when I was, when I got old enough to really know what I wanted to do when I grew up, not like, you know, what do you want to be? I want to be an astronaut, right? I want to, <laughs> right. I want to be, you know, something, you know, I want to, I want to be space traveler, right? When I, I got old enough to know what I actually wanted to do in my life, um, the first thing that I gravitated towards was actually journalism. Um, and this was pre-24 hour news cycle journalism, right? So this was, you know, if you did it, you loved it because it didn't pay much. Um, but that, that was where my passions lie. And I remember uh, at that time, the editor of the Detroit Free Press came into my journalism class uh, and said, she was talking she was talking specifically about investigative journalism and basically said, what where you just follow the information where it goes and wherever it goes, that's the story. You don't, we, we, we all come into things with a bias, but unless you're doing editorial writing, you, you, you keep, you do all you can to keep your bias to a minimum and you just follow the story where it goes. And so when it, t- it came time for me to wrestle with my questions again, I went back to my journalistic heart. Like let's, let's follow the story where it goes. And so as I would investigate, start just investigating these questions and claims and stuff like that, it, it brought me back one, it brought me back to just a richer place uh, in the, in my faith. Um, and then after that, um, I started reading, I started reading widely. Uh, I would read, um, I would read C.S. Lewis. I would read Rick Warren. I would read John Piper. I would read, uh, Dan Kimball. I would, you know, I, I would read Rob Bell, um, old Rob Bell, not new Rob Bell. Um, <laughs> right. But I would, I would, I would, I would read widely. And it was just during, just during that time where I started to see scripture, like, wait, like, wait, wait a second. The, the, Cause the way I was trained is that, you know, you don't even, you don't literally, I heard like I was trained this in the, in the camp that I was in. You don't need the old Testament. The Old Testament is the old covenant. We live in the new covenant with better promises. So if we live in the new covenant with better promises, just read the new covenant. You could, I could hear the sermon right now. Why you don't go? You don't go back to the old. 
You, you know, go back to the old. You, no, you gotta live in the new. Shit. You gotta live in the new. The new exactly. you. Exactly. Um, and so I was very, very weak with Old Testament stuff. Um, but I had a, a really good friend of mine who, you know, we got saved in the same church. Um, we we would we went to the same school for ministry, and but he loved the Old Testament. I'm like, dude, what is wrong with you? You're weird. Um, so he got me into like starting to read the Old Testament, and then I start to see these connections as Jesus would speak, as Peter would speak, as 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 Paul would speak, as Stephen would speak, as you know, as, as all of these New Testament writers would speak, as Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John would speak. So many things happening in the Old Testament that are pointing us right to it. They're pointing us right to what's happening in this this new covenant, this new and better stuff that's happening. It's all revealed starting in the Old Testament. And I started to see like, wait a second. So you're telling me that the old is not like, hey, the old stopped and then the new started, but rather there's a there's a laying the foundation and then the continuation for a build up to something better. Wait, what? What do you, this is, this is amazing. This is a, this is amazing. And then I started seeing parallels like in, in, you know, in, in Genesis with the, uh, with the tower of Babel, right? The people wanted, the people didn't want to scatter, right? The people didn't want to scatter. And that was always kind of put into one thing, right? But the people didn't want to scatter uh, and they wanted to build up a tower to show how great they are. Right. But that was against the original commissioning of scatter, right? Subdue the whole earth. And they said, no, we're not going over the whole earth. We're going to go up. And then God would knock down the tower and confuse their tongues and then have them scatter. And then you get to Acts chapter 2. And the first thing that Jesus does when, when, when he empowers his church with the Holy Spirit is he gives them the same tongue. Right? He, he reunites their speech when they start speaking in other tongues. Like, wait, we're all from different places. Right. They, they had all scattered. Now they're gathering again, but they're gathering so that they can officially do what they were meant to do in the beginning, which was to scatter, go out to the whole earth. And so I'm seeing these connections from Old Testament to new. Right. You're, 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 Jesus saying that when you see the angel ascend and descend, you know, on me, that's when I'm like, wait, but no, that's that's the Old Testament reference to, to, to James Ladder. Like, wait, what? And so as I started to see that and then I started to read people like um, I'm going to butcher his name, but I'm going to say it's pronounced Gerhard Vu. Um, you know, Gerhard Vu, I started reading him in, um, and I, I started really getting into biblical theology. Um, and biblical theology started to really now, I know there are people, even Gerhard Vu himself would, would disagree with this notion, but, um, would for me, uh, biblical theology, seeing the overarching story arc of the Bible that became primary to me instead of systematic theology or historical theology. Um, that, biblical theology looking over the, the 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 total story arc of the whole bible that that took prominence for me as to how to approach scripture um because i noticed when when i when i began to be very hyper you know nerdy theological and i lumped everything with systematic theology so i so i moved from you know fortune cookie to systematic which <laughs> fortune cookie reads the Bible to look for something for inspiration for you. Systematic ultimately causes you to read scriptures to f- and find your categories that this falls in, right? You're, you're looking for the category this falls in and, and everything you couldn't explain that all just got lumped into sovereignty, <laughs> right? Like, uh, yeah, I can't explain that. God's sovereign. It's all right. Um, but 
when I started looking at the, the, the story arc, that allowed me to really start to see like, okay, this connects with this. This this begins to explain the nature of God as God is revealing himself to his people, not just not just where I fit in it, right? Um, when my when my view of redemption became creation fall, redemption and restoration, not just you know sin, you know sin and you know the cross, and when it became the the overarching thing, right? Like how the gospel starts in Genesis one, not Genesis. You know, you don't start from Genesis three. When those things started all kind of coming together again with Garvu, and then um, later, later definitely shout out, shout out to the crew at the Bible Project, but you know. Tim Mackey and uh, Sailhammer and, and and people like that. What um, as I started to read them, that that really started to help. Really started to help shape some of how I viewed the narrative and legit. Some of it was just not being no longer being angry for some reason. This this weird and this might even lead into our next uh, lead into a whole nother discussion. But but I stopped being angry at my black church roots. I stopped being angry at the black church and just started accepting the beauty that they brought. And I started to read some other, just uh, read and listen to just other uh, black church preachers and their affinity and affection for uh, the old Testament and the way that it speaks to our current reality and the way it speaks to our current redemption. That's that really like opened my heart so big my heart so big like i'd read like preaching with sacred fire and reading just these old african-american sermons and my heart just swelling up and they're all old testament references my heart just swelling up uh with clarity of, of that is and then i'm i'm, I'm sure discovering at, at some point in your journey so much of the early church and their leadership oh yeah being africans i mean like yeah. the the my my favorite like church history guy is Athanasius. I have a, there's a children's book of Athanasius, Athanasius. You read to your kids to teach. I mean, our, the, the start of this thing was not a white Western European thing. No, um, it's, it's a, it's a, it's right there in the center of the, the ancient Near Eastern world. And then it took roots in Northern Africa, um, Northern Africa for a good portion of church history was like the capital of, of Christianity. And so um, you said something that I think can tie most of the, all these pieces together and get to the, get to the practical. Because one, um, when you brought up in, in Acts, God is forming this new, neither Jew nor Gentile, male nor female, nor slave nor free family, not an mm-hmm. institution. It is a family that yeah, is yeah. bringing together people who are radically different. I mean, the best illustration of this is Philippi and the, the stories of Acts. You have the uh, uh, Roman jailer, a uh, poor, oppressed, demonically possessed slave girl, and then a rich business owner, Lydia, from the eastern area, coming together and being the first Christians in this city, people from radically different walks of life. Mm-hmm. Now, you came from a background you mentioned where you were like down with, down with a white man, and then yep. there was a point where you were angry with kind of your the, the black church roots that you had had been brought up in, um, and then coming to a place now where you're you're planting a church with a kind of multi ethnic multicultural model, and I mm-hmm. want to get to that. So how does the your history 
with having anger towards different groups at different points in your life, and then the theological journey, and then the current pastoral mission that you're doing right now, how does that all tie together? And that's a complex question, but tell us that journey, how it ties together, what you're trying to do. Um, we certainly love what you're doing and, and pray for it and want the, the best to, to happen there, but tell, tell, tell us about all of that. This is going to sound so trite, and I don't mean it that way. Um, but, and I, I'll, fortunately I get the opportunity to explain it, but the thing that ties all of that together, legit, not like, not trying to give the, you know, the good Christian, you know, podcast answer, the gospel. As I begin to understand the gospel, right, and seeing what Christ was accomplishing in the gospel, knowing that salvation, salvation isn't just for the Jew, Right. First, you know, kind of stepping out of my own, you know, Western, you know, Western theological snobbery, right? And thinking that it's about me and realizing that, wait, no, I live in America in 2000, right now I live in America, 2018. So when I read Acts, when I, when I read Acts or I read the Great Commission, I'm the end of the world. I'm the end of the earth. I'm not the foundation. I'm the ends of the earth. I'm not Jerusalem. I'm not Judea. I'm not Samaria. I'm the ends of the earth. This is not about me. I'm not at the core of it. This is not about America. This is not about, you know, you know, modernity, right? Us modern people having it all together now. And we think that it's all about us. Always laughing. People talk about, you know, it's 2018. We need to, exactly. like, modernity is not a hope. Yeah. We literally have to tell people in 2018 to not eat Tide. Okay. Yeah. Exactly. We have to literally tell people don't eat detergent. Modernity is not <laughs> is not an excuse. Yeah. Right. But once I realize in the gospel, like one, I'm the ends of the earth. Two, realizing that in the gospel, what Christ is accomplishing is not where what salvation was just it was initially just for the Jews, so that he could bring it to all humanity. And then it's all humanity, right? It's all humanity. You know, Ephesians. Ephesians is all about Paul explaining to to this diverse group of Jew and Gentile. Hey, here's what it's like for all of you to be family. Here's God's grace and here's God's way. God saved you with his amazing grace. All of you. You were all bad. And now in Christ, you all have these amazing blessings in God. But all of you, Jew and Gentile, not just in Israel, but now it's in Christ. And that's for all of us. Right? It was it was the gospel. It, you know, Galatians is all about, hey, your Jewishness won't save you. Your Jewishness won't save you. Jesus will save you. And that's for all of you, not just Jew, but for Gentiles. So it wasn't just for it's not just for blacks. It's not just for whites. It's not just for Asians or Hispanics. None of that. It's for it's for us all. Right. The gospel shows us that. So when when I as I'm as, just as I'm digging in the scripture, I mean, in scriptures, they got like they got problems that I, I know very few. I know of a few, but very few people actually have. Right. When you read in right when 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 you read in Acts six, like you, you see so many problems arise, you know, from the Greek speaking widows and the and Hebrew speaking widows. I'm like, man, they got church problems with people who don't even speak the same language. Yeah. Right. Mm. They, they don't even speak the same language. But yet there there are gathered together. Um, so. It's it's in that it's in just the simple command of love God and love your neighbor as I have loved you. Right? You you can't look your you can't look your neighbor in the eye. 
Now, you, you can't read. First, you can't read the, the parable of the Good Samaritan and realize who your neighbor is and then look that neighbor in your eye and say, I love you. If you won't even exist in a way that allows you to worship this God that you're called first to love together, if, if you don't function in a way where you can be together, you're not you're not fulfilling your commandment, be it color, be it culture, be it economics. If you're not existing in a way where you can all be together and be that family together. Steve, you just said something that ties into something you said earlier. Um, you know, in the Old Testament, you're never going to find a Bible verse that says all slavery is wrong all of the time. And in the New Testament, it's interesting. You're not going to find a Bible verse that says, don't be racist. It's bad. Right. What the Bible talks about, and this is what is missing from our, from our culture right now, what the Bible talks about doesn't say, don't be racist. It talks a lot about reconciliation and how to reconcile. Mm-hmm. And it goes to exactly what you were saying earlier. We've all been told, I mean, there's people who, who haven't been told this, but in America, we're kind of the cultural climate. You're told, don't be racist. Racism is bad. But we are not taught the gospel way at undoing that. The gospel talks about reconciliation. The gospel talks about Jew, Gentile, slave, nor free family life. And so it's the same thing. We try to bypass and just get to this kind of sanitized ethic. Don't be racist. But we do we, we do not know how to do reconciliation. We do not know how to do family. We do not know how to, don't even go to church if you have a problem with another brother or sister in Christ. We don't know how to do that. And that, no. that gets into exactly what you're doing, um, which should be common, but it's so, so rare. In, in Seattle, with, with Reunion Church, you have started from the bottom, from the ground, from the foundation, saying we are going to, to do our best in our context to be kind of multi-generational, multicultural, and, and center on Christ. So, so tell us about that work right now. How is it going? Yeah. So we started me and my friend Sam Smith, um, who is who he's a white guy. Um, we started reunion uh, on July twenty third, twenty seventeen. Um, we broke all the rules. We didn't do any, you know, marketing. We didn't start with our, you know, core group meeting for twelve weeks, going over vision together and all of that. We had our we we had a we had a core group of people. And uh, we had a common idea to say, hey, this is what the church should be like Uh, anywhere where it could be. This is what it should be. And uh, we just opened up the doors of Sam's house and said, oh, let's see who shows up. And people started showing up um, and they're still showing up in ways that it's still shocking to us. Um, But just watching God build this church, I mean, some of the just kind of sociological marks that are there, right? Like. Our church is right now, our church is about 40 percent non-white, um, which is interesting in a city that's only uh, just under 30 percent non-white. So our, our church is more diverse than the city, more diverse than the city. Yeah. Um, we meet in Beacon Hill in the Beacon Hill neighborhood of Seattle. It's in South Seattle. Uh, we we knew that if we were going to build the church that was going to speak to and meet people where they were, uh, going to North Seattle just wasn't going to do it. Like there's a lot of church planting activity in the north part of Seattle. There's a lot actually, but that's because that's where most people go. That's where the money is. People want to go up to Ballard. People want to go up to Wallingford around, you know, just kind of around that area. Um, but people don't really want to go to the south end. Uh, 
And that's where what it's odd because that's where the largest population of people in Seattle are one is in the South end of Seattle. Uh, so there's so much need there. Right? The pe- people are there. There's a need there. Um, it's not as sexy to plant there. And we said, that's where we're going to go. Um, so we planted there and it's been people from all walks of life coming in, um, people coming in, finding Jesus for the first time. Uh, people who like never heard the gospel before are, are showing up. people who've been battered by religion are showing up and being refreshed. Um, got people, I've heard people kind of um, uh, complain about the, the idea of the multi-ethnic church only just trying to be a safe space for, you know, mixed couples. Uh, but <laughs> it's it's really been a place where it's really been a place where we can. No, no matter what, not just black and white, but the. Oh man, the 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 Asian minorities that have been coming in between Japanese, Korean, Chinese, Vietnamese, uh, Indian uh, coming in, um, and I mean Indian, Indian, not Native American, like not Native American Indian. Nobody get mad at me for being politically incorrect. I mean actual Indians, um, <laughs> uh, Filipinos, Hawaiians, um, and then so many actual like just mixed race people. Uh, coming in and people from different economic backgrounds. We've got, we've, you know, we've got the Amazon engineers. We've got the uh, baristas. We've got the artists. We've got the screen shop workers, right? We've got the landscapers, like people just kind of across the board, the, the stay at home moms and the, you know, work really hard moms, right? We've, we've, we've got kind of across the board uh, mix of kinds of people who, uh, call reunion home. People from different, you know, theological backgrounds who are coming in, and, and they're 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 finding home at reunion, uh, and it's been so beautiful. We just had our first baptism service a couple of weeks ago. We baptized three people, two of which all came to faith in Jesus at reunion. Uh, we've had um, we got two more people signed up for our next baptism already, and our church is only seven months old. Uh, we got people signed up for our next baptisms, and there are people who 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 found faith in Jesus, uh, reunion. So it's been, it's, it's been wild. It's been wild just to watch God kind of show up and do his thing in our small growing context. It's been wild for us. The two biggest struggles, one, um, it's, it's been my concern from day one and it still is my concern even now. Um, as we, as, as we aim to be a diverse church in even in to a certain extent, right? To a certain extent, even where people have different ideologies uh, can come and find reunion home. Um, that's been a bit of a, there's been a bit of a struggle, um, mainly because like, yeah, you will, like even in my last sermon, like, yeah, I railed against as we're talking, as we were talking about, you know, the the world, right? As scripture defines the world, right? The, the evil thing of the world as the scriptures would use it. You know, yeah, I did rail against, you know, institutions like abortion, uh, but I also railed against racism. So it's, 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 I wonder how it, how, how easy it is. I'm concerned for how easy it is for someone who has a different ideological bend to come to reunion and find reunion home. Like if you're, if you're wildly conservative and you're in, if you're wildly conservative and you're in Seattle, church is probably the only refuge you even have. Um, and I'm not saying that you come and you're only with people who are, who think like you, but, 
how how easy is it for them to come and just not just be challenged to where where they should be, uh, but feeling challenged beyond what's what they may feel is even um, necessary. So. Yeah, and you're trying to occupy that prophetic voice of saying, we're going to speak to ethical and moral issues, and it's going to go across the political spectrum. And no matter where you sit, the gospel has something to confront you with. Yeah. Um, because no no earthly system, no earthly party is the kingdom of God. Right. And anyone that thinks everything they think theologically or politically is accurate is is missing the point in a, in a crazy way. Because we're all going to stand before God and realize that no earthly human institution perfectly represented his kingdom. So you as a pastor in that kind of context, you're occupying this, the prophetic tradition of pointing out sin in whatever way it may manifest its its face. Yeah. Um, and that is a, that's probably, you know, speaking as another pastor, that is probably the hardest thing with preaching is is knowing that you have to gracefully and lovingly and gently convict hearts like pierce hearts and 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 ask god to to do something new and in your context it's more difficult because there's there's people with radically different viewpoints and ideologies coming together so it's like every sunday is a a potential explosion yeah <laughs> yeah 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 like I, the, the the way i've kind of boiled it is like everybody is either okay with the evil out there, mm, right? Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Address the evil out there. It's yes. always, a, yep. But there's evil in here. Oh, oh, what do you mean? Or they're okay with addressing the evil in here and they want to hear messages about how God would save them and their grace for them and how God would change them. But no, there's an evil out there that needs to be addressed and how God wants to change that and how by God's grace you'd be moved to impact that. Like, no, there's no evil out there. It's just... You know, no, it's like it's it's beyond their thought that sinful people that they believe exist and believe that they even are could put their hands to policies and procedures and the ways that our world work and think that those sinful hands and sinful minds aren't impacting those policies and procedures to function in a way that coincide with their sinfulness. It's beyond them. They, They can't think that's a thing. Right. So it's. It's addressing both the evil in here and the evil in here and the evil out there. And um, the, the the people who are the people who are more okay with uh, that there is an evil in here. Um, I I always wonder, always struggle with like how how do they find home at reunion when we begin to address the evil out there too? So that's 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 a struggle. Um, generationally, uh, it's a struggle. Um, we're not. Uh, granted, we're a new church, and so older people don't typically gravitate to new to new churches anyway. Um, <clears throat> but um, we want to see more like boomers. We want to see some like older Gen Xers uh, and some boomers. Um, and right now, we are we're we're pretty young church. You say old uh, people listening to the podcast in Seattle. All you old people, reunion. They need they need some old people. Come through. Come see us. We're in Beacon Hill. We'd love you. We'd love to have you. Come. Some 70s and 80-year-olds with some wisdom. Some wisdom. We need 88-year-old wisdom coming to reunion. Yes. One of the things that is so fun for me listening to you talk about 
reunion is I, I've known you for several years, and we've had several conversations about your dream of the church, not just a church plant, but the church at large. And uh, I think all of our dreams are birthed out of the way um, God is doing stuff in us. And mm-hmm. for us, just as friends of yours, from a distance, it's really fun to see a church come alive that really, knowing you personally, feels like it's the it's the beginnings of um, the way God's wired you and the way he's unfolded his story in your life coming to fruition in the form of a community of people gathering around Jesus. So as we wrap up, a couple of things. One, especially for those who are in or near the Seattle area, um, and maybe they're listening to this and they're like, whoa, wait, yeah, that that sounds like something I want to be a part of. Um, just practically, how can people get connected to Reunion? What are some ways they can find you guys online or wherever else? And then um, you've done a lot of work with Regen and you're working on a book and several other things. You speak all over the place. So if people want to get connected to some of your work personally as well, um, let people know so how they can get connected to, Re- to Reunion as well as your work. Yeah. Uh, so you can check out Re- everything is Reunion Seattle. So you can check us out online. It's uh, reunionseattle.org. Um, check us out on social media, either Twitter or Instagram uh, or Facebook. Uh, just search Reunion Seattle. Uh, we'll pop up. Uh, we'll pop up there. Um, if you're in the Seattle area and you want to come and you want to come hang with us, uh, we meet in Centilia Cultural Center in Beacon Hill. Come hang with us and then hop on the train and head down and check out uh, check out the Sounders game after <laughs> after service. Um, for me, you can catch me on Twitter, uh, Instagram, uh, Facebook. It's all Stephen Patton. Um, they can you, you you can definitely catch me there. Uh, there's links to my blog and stuff there. Um, and then yeah. Yeah, that's awesome, man. Steve, thanks so much for your time. Thanks so much for your work. And um, on top of all of this, you serve on the leadership team at Regeneration Project, and you've been invaluable um, to moving the mission forward. We're praying for you, praying for reunion and, uh, and for the gospel in Seattle. So thanks a bunch, man. Appreciate your time. Thanks, Jay. Thanks, Isaac. A lot of good stuff today. Um, Obviously, it is a complex issue, and in no way do we pretend like a podcast can solve the issues of racism, reconciliation, and the the, the tough passages on slavery in the Bible. So uh, go to our webpage, and on this podcast page, we'll put a bunch of links to books and resources that we've found helpful, and you can dig in more. As always, if if you got any questions, hit us up. Um, And always a shout-out to our partner, Western Seminary. Uh, if you're looking for a great gospel-centered uh, education in a seminary, check out Western Seminary. 